0: Welcome to Sports and Songs Podcast. We're in Season 2, Episode 3. I'm your host, uh, Dan, and also we've got Andy on the line, the co-host. Andy, how are you?
1: I'm doing good. Yourself?
0: Good. We've got lots of sports to cover here. It's a Saturday after Thanksgiving. Yep. Lots of sports. We're transitioning from fall into winter, which is always a fun time of year. And we've got some good updates on music and concerts and album of the week. And yep. artist of the week. So, yeah, good episode we've got. Where do you want to start off with? Uh, maybe some high school.
1: Yeah, we'll go high school football first of all. High first of football. all, we should be talking about prep bowl right now, which we're not. I'm not gonna go through all the final games from last Friday. Uh, counting nine men, that's seven conferences, eight games each one. You're more than welcome to go to uh, the hub, Minnesota football hub, Star Tribune site to see what matchups would have been. When I looked at those, some teams still had semifinals that never got played. There was four games left to play. I mean, four teams left. I'm sorry. Some had one player in the championship but no opponent yet. And sometimes it would have had the two teams that were supposed to play didn't get their game in. There would be two teams to play. And the Star Tribune up and appointed someone a winner. But then sometimes they wouldn't. So we're not going off that. No offense to Star Tribune. We're going to stick with the max preps. Uh, rankings. This was done on Sunday, so this will be having those games played. Uh, the one thing I like about Max Preps also is they do a top five of all conferences combined. So 5A, 6A, 4A, all these guys are thrown in for the overall top five. I like it. And again, Max Preps is all analytics, it's not coaches. So here we go. The overall top five of Max Preps one, Ean Prairie, two, Moorhead, which is a 5A school. Nope. Three Lakeville South, four Ricori Cold Springs, which is a 4A school, and number five Andover, who's a 5A school. So there's that for you. I'll go on the regular conferences here 6A. Their top five was uh, Eden Prairie, Lakeville South, St. Michael, Albertville, Prior Lake at number four, and Shakopee at five. Uh, for 5A, it went Moorhead, Andover, Mankato West. Chanhassen, Rogers, and number six was Bemidji. Uh, 4A, Cory, Cold Springs, of course. Uh, Becker, Hutch, us people in Watertowns call Hutch. Hutchinson, for those of you outstate. Uh, Wilmer, and Fridley. Uh, 3A was Albany, Cannon Falls, Wasika, and Andale at four, and Litchfield. 2A, Caledonia, Blue Earth, Barnesville, Morris area. And North Community in Minneapolis. 1 8 at Blooming Prairie, Mayor Lutheran, Wasabo, Breckenridge, and Murray County, with Lester Prairie Holy Trinity at 11. And the reason I bring that in is Lester Prairie won their game. They should have played Mayor for their section championship. That
0: would have been but good. Of course,
1: that game wasn't going to happen. And here they got Mayor at 2. The Star Tribune said on their last rankings back in the 11th had Mayor like at 8th. So, Different points, but that's that's why we're here. Nine-man was Hills-Beaver Creek at one, Hancock two, Renville County West three, Winnie Mac four, and Lanesboro five. So that's all the high school football rankings finished, according to Max Prep. Again, you're welcome to go to uh, your team's site, the high, uh, Minnesota State High School League site, to find out what brackets would have played, what games they should have played, who. Um, unfortunately, those games will never get played. Um, but. We, we go from there. Uh, volleyball rankings, again, overall for Minnesota, it's 3A, 1A, 2A, 3A being the big schools, 2 and 1. Overall for volleyball in Minnesota, they have Wayzata at 1, Minneota, which is a 1A school at 2, Stewartville, a 2A school at 3, Faustin, a 1A school at 1, at 4, and Northfield at 5. Uh, the bracket rankings individually go 3A, what, goes Wazeta, Northfield, East Ridge and Woodbury, Monticello and North St. Paul. Minnetonka coming in at 7, shameless plug. Uh, 2A is Stuartville, Southwest, Southwest Christian out in Chaska, uh, Albany, Greenway, and Rosso, two big hockey schools up there for girls volleyball. And 1A, Miniota, Faustin, Mabel, Mayor Lutheran at 4, and Burnham at 5. Uh, I wanted to note for high school wrestling. I know that's not going on right now, but just wanted to note that Austin Gabbert of Watertown Mayor, Mayor Lutheran team, has committed to wrestle at Augsburg University the following upcoming season. Nice. Uh, Gabbert is a three time placer. He placed a class 2A 126 pound runner up in 2020 as a junior. As a sophomore, he placed fifth in the 113 weight class and as a freshman, fifth in the 106 class. He's projected to wrestle between the 133 or 141 pound for for the Augies this year. So congratulations to him signing. Now, there's no sport going on. You can still sign. And one thing I missed last week also, I mentioned some of the signings around here. We mentioned a couple weeks ago, Monica Sizano from Watertown Mayor being uh, all big 10 preseason player of the year. Her sister also from Watertown Mayor just signed at the university of Minnesota. So the two girls should be coming as a freshman in a couple years, as Monica's a senior, I don't know if they'll let them play each other. If they play th- each other, maybe uh, garbage time at the end of the game or we'll let our sisters start But the two sisters play against each other. So watch for the Cezanne girls to play each other in Minnesota, Iowa, and girls baseball, basketball, basketball coming up in a couple years. That should be exciting right there. Uh, college college football. Uh, top four ranking right now, we have Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. You're probably going, Andy, why the top four? We go five on everything else. College football playoffs are the top four teams. I don't want to get into arguing who's five, six, and seven on that. That's a whole other podcast for yeah, another day. true. <laughs> top four. Um, Clemson, again, has had the games canceled and postponed. Uh, Ohio State's fourth, but they're 4-0. and You know, so this is one of those years. We'll see how it works out. Um, from the com website, uh, today's gopher football game against Wisconsin has been canceled because of COVID 19 uh, both both schools are um, confirming that uh, this season there were down 25 players and staff members from last Friday's victory against Purdue uh, Wisconsin. Uh, the gophers are dealing with more cases of nine players than six staff members. Wisconsin's had a lot of games they've lost this year because it already um, so they won't even be eligible for the big Ten championship because you got have so many games played. The Gophers announced in a statement that Saturday's game will not be made up, making it for the first time since 1906. The Gophers and Badgers will not battle for Paul Bunyan's axe.
0: No so, axe uh, awarded this no year. Axe. It's going to stay at – uh, who's got it right now? I, think, I believe we have it right now. So it's going to stay here at stay the University here. of Minnesota for another year.
1: And uh, right. also from, from Yahoo Sports, Rashad Bateman is out again now. He's uh, decided to back out for the last few games of the season. Uh, receiver for the Gophers. If you recall, he wasn't going to play. Although when he heard there might be a Big Ten season, he wanted to play. But now they're out of it. He doesn't want to play. Claiming the COVID-19 reasons. He doesn't want to get sick or anything like that. He is projected to be a – some people saying first-round receiver. I don't see it. I don't – this would have been his time in these few games to prove it. I think maybe he was hurting his own stock. That's why he's getting out. That's my – my opinion, Uh, but he did step out for the rest of the season. So good luck to him in the future, but he has stepped out planning for the 2021 draft. Uh, Further dialogue with uh, Coach Fleck and his family, we decided that after the most recent COVID-19 outbreak and cancellation of this weekend's games, that it made it the most sense to begin the focus on the next stage of my career, he said in a letter. So good luck to him on that. Um, I hope I'm only the best. Uh, let's hope he goes somewhere besides Tampa, where all the other Gopher players have gone lately. See if we could spread out our Gophers around the country to the other teams. But uh, you got any other uh, Gopher football stuff there, Dan? Well, I
0: know that uh, with the with the uh, cancellation of that last game, and there's only one game left, was was uh, Abraham, the running back was leading the nation in rushing yardage uh, at w- at one point or for much of the season. Is that now that's going to be in jeopardy, right?
1: Yeah, because he's going to be short a game now. It's like the quarterback for Clemson. You know, he was supposed to have all these great numbers. he missed two because of COVID himself and the third one because of cancellation. So,
0: Gophers will wrap up the season uh, on December 12th at Nebraska to play the Cornhuskers. Nebraska, strange year. Once again, they're only one and four. Gophers are two and three. Gophers could actually win that game, but their season will be done because there's no no playoff. They're not going to be eligible for the playoff. Are they going to be eligible for a bowl game?
1: They very well might be at 3-3, three and three, depending on how many teams accept invites because of travel or COVID for themselves.
0: But it'll be a low well. end. They're, they're stripping out some of the games, so it's uh it's not as diluted as – it's going to be tougher to get into a bowl game at all. So their their game, their season might just be all done by December. Yeah,
1: yeah I'll touch uh, I all little call for for Gopher football. All okay, right, a little college hockey news. Uh, Bemidji State men's hockey finale with Minnesota State was postponed. We got one game in. Then their other game against Minnesota State was originally uh, scheduled for 307. That game was postponed. Um, sources close to this reporter said it was uh, the Mankato players that had the COVID, not the Bem- Bemidji players. So, not pointing blame, but just for those locally, so you know wherever your kids are at, it was Mankato's fault. Um, so, that game was canceled. I don't know. I don't believe they're going to do makeup games for that for college hockey. I'm not sure. Uh, at this point, there is no date listed. We'll see what the other teams come up with if they find a date. Uh, so Bemidji State's now 0-1 and returned the action December 12th and 13th when Michigan Tech is in town at the Sanford Center in Bemidji. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Gopher men's hockey are off to a 4-0 start. Uh, they swept Penn State 4-1 and 3-2. And then a couple days later, swept, swept Ohio State 4-1 and 2-0. Uh, their next games are December 3rd and 4th, a Thursday, Friday, at Michigan state and then Tuesday, December 8th and Wednesday, the 9th at Michigan. Uh, and just don't always assume with college hockey. If you're flipping channels, you go on big 10 network, you see college hockey. That might not be a rerun. It could be a live game. Cause the way they're jumping schedules in there to get all these games in for all the sports. So don't assume it's a rerun and pass it up. Go for women's hockey is at one and one. Uh, they split with Ohio state for nothing and lost one, two. Um, November 27th, last night, they did win 4-2, to come from behind against UMD. And they play there again tonight up, at, up in uh, Duluth. And then December 4th and 5th, they're here against the Badgers. Bucky's in town, 4th and 5th. Uh, some player highlights for the Gopher women. Uh, goaltenders, number 35, Lauren Bench. Uh, she's a redshirt senior. She's a graduate transfer from Bemidji State last year. Uh, she's been the goalie for the first two games. Those two goalies are both sophomores. Uh, Lauren, by the way, went to school, high school at Burnsville. Uh, she's had both starts here. Michaela Paul is a sophomore. She's from Rochester mayor high school and Olivia King, a sophomore from Brainerd. So we got three goalies on the women's team right now. One, a red shirt senior transfer. She's a graduate student from BSU. That two are sophomores. So letting those other gals get some time in instead of having two sophomores as your goalies, they got the other gal in, which is good. Uh, men's basketball for Gophers staying down at, down at campus, as we say. 1-0 with a 99-69 win over Green Bay this weekend. Um, you got anything on go for basketball, Dan?
0: Well, go for basketball. They're, uh, they're 1-0 after their win over Green Bay. Their next game uh, is Loyola-Marymount, and they're going to play them back-to-back. Loyola-Marymount. Now, that should be good. That'll be on, uh, not TV, but radio. Spencer Tollickson, former Chaska athlete that does the radio broadcast for the Gophers. The coach for Loyola Marymount is in his first year. He spent this past five seasons as an assistant with Marquette. Now he's got the uh, team under, his, under the helm here, first year, uh, first year coach. Now, the connection with him, he played his final year of college basketball at Bemidji State. 2003 is where he graduated Stan Johnson, the head coach. At Loyola Marymount. Graduated 2003 from Bemidji State. Didn't know if the uh, folks and our listeners out here knew the connection. I certainly knew that you would enjoy that, Andy.
1: Yes. 2003. It's just between when my daughter's there and when Otis was there, just between those two. So.
0: Nice. And uh, uh, also, that's all I got for, for Gopher, I got college basketball note women. Okay. I I uh, told the, the, the listeners uh, that I'm going to be mainly focusing this year on the Connecticut Huskies, the Yukon Huskies, because number one player in the nation recruit at a high school page. Beckers out of Hopkins is going there. Um, I was going to follow them as their game was supposed to be today. Someone on the team came down with COVID tested positive. They are now on a 14 day shutdown for the team. So next game really scheduled. Uh, it's going to be December December 14th, I think. But I'll cover that in the next, uh, next episode. Uh, regardless, uh, the next two weeks, they will be off. And uh, they were scheduled to play in some preseason Hall of Fame basketball tournament or something. Now they'll start the season at home against Butler. And uh, that'll be the second week in December. I'll cover that more. But Yukon Huskies shut down for the next two weeks.
1: Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, staying on campus with Gophers, again, the two gets a little of our amount. Then December 4th, North Dakota – I don't want there. are they're still the suit to me. North Dakota will be in town on the fourth. Women's basketball starts up December 2nd, Eastern Illinois. The S is silent. It's Illinois. And December 6th against Drake. Uh, then December 9th, they start the Big Ten season at home against Michigan State. All three of those games – or against Michigan State. All three games are at William Arena. Williams Arena down there. Uh, that's all I got for all college stuff. You got any more college notes? No. All right. Baseball. Kind of go a little out of order here. We didn't talk much about them during the regular season, but it was their finals. Uh, the Nippon Professional Baseball the Japanese Series was finished up this week. Congratulations to the Fukudaka Hawks over the Giants, four games to none. So that series is done. Uh, the KBO – the N.T. Dials were over the, the Doosan Bears four games to two. So those two championships are both done in those leagues. Um, Australian starts up again, end of December, early January for Australian Baseball League. So you get your fix there. Speaking of getting your fix, uh yeah, scroll ahead to my notes here. I got something down. Just well to let you know, 80 days from today on Saturday as we're recording this, 80 shopping days left till pitchers and catchers report for the Baltimore Orioles.
0: Nice.
1: First team report. Only three teams are listing. Orioles are reporting February 16th for pitchers and catchers with the first workout the 17th. Position players 21st and workout the 22nd. Mets and Tampa Bay are both showing the 17th for pitchers and catchers, 18th for first workout. 22 and 23 for uh, position players to show up and work out. So 80 shopping days left till pitchers and catchers report for Baltimore. Just letting you know, watch a little Australian baseball league for a couple months to get in, in January, get your, get back in the swing of it. You'll be all set. Uh, some news from the Mets from SNY.com. Louis Rojas will officially be back as the manager for the 2021 season, according to Sandy Alberson of the Mets. Uh, they previously, previously said it was very likely that he'd come back because, you know, they're doing the ownership change at the Mets, general manager changes. Um, usually you get the GM first, then the coach. They didn't want to jack around. We want to coach in place right now. So, Louis has got the job for another year at least. We'll see how that goes. Uh, speaking of owners in the Mets, um, Steve Cohen, the new owner of the Mets, um, not only does he own the Mets, before this he owned something we like to refer to as the Buckner ball. The ball Mookie Wilson hit between Bill Buckner's legs years ago. Oh, yes. Mets owner Steve Cohen bought that ball and has it. Um, he revealed that he owns the ball. Wookie Wilson hit through Bill Buckner's legs in game six of the 86 World Series. Now that Cohen owns the team as well, he says he plans to move the ball to the Mets Museum at City Field. So that would be a very touching thing to see as we go there to City Field for Mets games this year. Um, again, new ownership of the Mets. They have, they're going to open the checkbook and go, is what I've heard. There are a lot of big name free agents they're all shooting for. I don't know if they're thinking because... Uh, They'll get the free agents to do it now because the ground's going to be up. Syndergaard's going to be up pretty soon. Uh, hopefully, they can get rid of the Cespedes contract unless he comes back healthy. I think they're going all in right now, in case they lose those two pitchers. We'll see what happens, but let's uh, hot stove league is going to be starting up here soon. Now, uh, the NBA, their season is set to start December twenty second. Uh, with the end of the season just a while ago, the end of the season will be tentatively. May 16th is what they're shooting for now. Schedule changes for the NBA this year, they're going to play 72 games, which is 10 less than they typically do in their 82-game season. Right now their plan is for each team to play three games against each non-conference opponent, so that's 42 games, and then two games against each interconference opponent, that's 30 games. And kind of like they did last year, a play-in tournament will include the teams with the 7th highest through the 10th highest winning percentage in each conference. I think they're saying winning percentage in case there's games canceled in there. That could go with most wins. They're going winning percentage. They're covering themselves there. At the conclusion of the regular season, but before the first round of the playoffs, the team with the seventh highest winning percentage in each conference will host the team with the eighth highest winning and go on. Um, the team with the ninth highest will host the team with the tenth. Go in the 9-10 game, so they'll go from there. Uh, some key dates for the NBA this year. Uh, December 11th through 19th will be preseason games. December 22nd through March 4th is the first half of the regular season. The 5th through 10th is the All-Star break. The 11th of March through the 16th of May is the second half of the regular season. Uh, 18th through 21 is the play-in play tournament, that 7-8 uh, 8-9 eight, eight, games. And then May 22nd through July 22nd will be their playoffs. And we mentioned the NBA All-Star break in there, but among, among many other changes, the NBA – will not have an all-star game this year. The league announced that the annual festivities have been postponed for this year, while the 2021 season is still going on. The coronavirus pandemic made it too difficult for safety to hold the event. The Indiana Pacers, the same city we said would hold the the bubble for the NCAA tournament if they had it, supposed to host host it this year. They will not get it this year, but they are awarding it to them in the 2024 season. Because like in most sports, they kind of plan their all-star game like three, four years out for different cities to get their stuff set. Um, this will be the first time since 1999 that the league won't have an all-star game. And that was because of a league lockout. Uh, there also, they'll hold several versions of all-star festivities in the town throughout the year, uh, but there will be no actual game. The NHL is targeting its season for a January 1st start date. That's all the NHL is really putting out right now. They're not getting too, too ahead of the game on other things for, uh, I know they canceled their Winter Classic, which is usually the first anyway. I know they've canceled their All-Star game, but haven't heard much more on uh, they're shortening the season, if they're going to redo their schedule, how they're doing it. They're just right now saying January 1st, 2021, the start. Um That's what I got for sports. I got some concert information here for you, unless you got some more sports stuff.
0: The only thing I got for sports, I've got two things, NFL, Yeah. The- the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game that was uh, pushed back on uh, Thanksgiving evening is now going to be played on Tuesday night, national TV, uh, Tuesday night game. They'll play that. Uh, remember, t- Pittsburgh's 10-0, and 0, so maybe a worthwhile game to watch. And for those asking why I've got a Buffalo Bills cap on today, over Viking Stefan Diggs is among the leaders in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills as wide receiver. Currently second in the entire NFL in yards, reception yards, and third in number, uh, – second in receptions and third in yardage. So, Stefan Diggs, a shout-out to him, the new Buffalo Bills receiver, former Viking. Supporting him today, we're in the Buffalo Bills cap.
1: stefan has been a big – he's been a big plus on my fantasy team this year. And on the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen is a quarterback from Wyoming, so small-school small quarterback. Throwing to him, so shout-out to them. Uh, getting back to the Pittsburgh game, couple things I know for my fantasy football league, that's counting as week 12. That game, even though so,
0: oh, yes, they
1: might backdate it. And one other factoid there so, a court Ben Rossenberger 10 and 0, undefeated playing this week. That's another undefeated quarterback playing this week, Mitch Travinsky 3 and 0.
0: Yeah, Andy. I, I just remember now that I forgot to mention the trivia question of the week.
1: We'll do the question now and the answer after the concert. So, what's the question? The
0: question is: When is the last time the Minnesota Vikings won the NFL championship? The NFL championship. Oh. Great question. Yeah, um, not a not a trick question. It's it's nope. legit, but it's a very. Um, Newer listeners may not uh, know it. Older listeners to the show may understand it, but they did win an NFL championship. The last time was when. The answer will be after this.
1: All right. We'll go into the concerts right now. A lot of these concerts are rescheduled ones from other venues we've mentioned in the past. Again, these first few are all at Medina Entertainment Center. Please check their website for ticket information and and confirmation. Uh, So Friday, January 22nd, a rescheduled date for the Shalo Lee Band with guest Anderson Daniels. Those tickets, uh, tickets available on there. Again, check Medina to buy tickets and check out their information for uh, seating and everything else. That's been moved to Friday, January 22. Also a new date for the Christmas show for the Church of Cash got moved to February 5th. So (laughs) late Christmas, but it's always a good time of year for a good concert to put on. It's going to be fun. Saturday, December 6th at Medina, Beatles versus Stones. There'll be no guests, but uh, some cover bands playing Beatles and Stones songs. Uh, February twenty or I'm sorry, February twelfth. The Hype with a special guest Heartless, which is a Heart tribute band. That concert's been the Friday, February twelfth. Um, those again go to Medina Entertainment Center. Uh, check their website for ticket information on that.
0: February twelfth for Heartless. Yes. Yes. I will be attending that show.
1: You will. Yes. Uh, then these arrests are online ones, online concerts. So, um, check each band's website. We'll give those we go along here. December 5th, Evanescence. We went 3 PM. Check their website. Now these for online ones you do have to pay for. Just like the concerts. You got to pay fees. Yeah. You're online. You're on your computer or your TV watching it, but they are still trying that much. Like Evanescence, 10 bucks. Why not? Uh, so that's EvanescenceLive.com for that one. December 11th, 311 is playing at 7 o'clock at uh, the Grassroots album in its entirety. 20 bucks for that one at 311streamsystem.com. And again, I'm getting all these off the 93X website for uh, live stream concerts. You can always go there for more information. January 8th, 7Dust performs an entire album. Uh, $17 for that one. That's on uh, No Cap Shows. So again, follow the websites for these bands for it. And that's what I got for some of those online concerts. Um, I have not seen an online one before. Um, Not that I don't want them. It just hasn't been on my radar to do it. No one I've really wanted to see online. I'm cheap. I watch the old YouTube concerts instead. That's what I got for that. Um, Before we do the Artist of the Week, Dan, what's the answer to the trivia question? The question is, 1970...
0: Minnesota Vikings beat the Cleveland Browns twenty-seven to seven in Bloomington, Minnesota, Met Stadium, with the NFL championship game. Now, that was the last year the NFL actually had a championship game because AFL and NFL were competing, and they put the leaders of each uh, winners of each league together in a new thing called the Super Bowl. So, the year that the Vikings won the NFL championship got invited to play the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl. Uh, four, I believe. They got beat by the Chiefs. They were heavily favored, got beat by the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, went to four Super Bowls, eventually lost them all. But not many fans in Minnesota realize the Vikings do have an NFL title under their belt. 1969 title, they won uh, in 1969, playing in the title game in 1970 in Bloomington. So really, Mets, Mets Stadium in Bloomington was the host of an NFL championship game on January 1970. That's another trivia question that many people probably don't know of. Yeah. But the Vikings um, have had great success. Uh, all we hear about is the four failures in the Super Bowl. But 1969 season, they were good, went on to win the title January 1970 over the Cleveland Browns, 27-7. to 7. That's the answer for this week's trivia question.
1: But, but look at the four teams they lost to, the Steelers, who were a dynasty in the 70s. Dolphins, Hank Stram's Chiefs, and John Mann's Raiders. I mean, they didn't – I mean, yeah, they were favored in a couple of games, but it's not like you lost to – you lost to guys who teams, good teams. I mean, good coaches, good teams. So um, our artist of the week, we started last week with Rudy Sarzo. Um, this week is Paul Charles Caravella. Caravello, I'm sorry, Caravello. Uh, born July 12th, 1950, November 24th, 1991, he passed away. Uh, better known as his stage name, Eric Carr, drummer for Kiss. He was our drummer from 1980 to 1991. He was selected as the new drummer for Kiss after Peter Criss departed. When he chose the uh, the stage name Eric Carr and took up the Fox persona, he remained a member of Kiss until his death from heart cancer, November 24th, 1991, at the age of 41. Uh, He was born to Albert and Connie Carlarello, Carr was of Italian descent. He grew up in Brownsville section of Brooklyn, New York. Box. Uh, oh, there he is. There's him without the makeup.
0: Eric yep. Carr without the makeup right there. From the KISS box set. Very <laughs> because good his father. Very good drummer.
1: Oh yes. Because his father worked most of the time, Carr didn't see much of him and never went to baseball games or that kind of stuff with his father. He spent a lot of time alone in his room playing with toy soldiers and toy monsters. He attended the high school of art and design. He planned at first to be a cartoonist, then changed his mind quickly thereafter and decided to study photography. According to him, he ended up wasting, he he ended up wasting absolutely every day of high school. I got no work done, did nothing to further my career, wasted time, we wound up getting drunk in the dark room with my friends all the time. We never got caught because we looked through the one-way glass when the teachers would come by. It wasn't like we were getting drunk every day. Not, not every day. Um, a half a cup of vodka in those days was all it took to get drunk. However, as he described himself as overall, a really good kid. Yeah, those really good kids. In 1970, he joined a band called Salt and Pepper, which started as a cover band playing music from multiple genres. The band was named just because, well, half the members were black and half of them were white. So you could get away with that in 1970, you know. <laughs> 1973, the band changed their name to Creation, now performing disco music. Tragedy struck in 1974 when a fire broke out during a, a discotheque gig at the Gavalier Nightclub in Port Chester, New York, killing dozens of people, including the band's keyboardist and lead singer. Eric Carr escaped and was credited with saving another person, one of the band's female singers. It was determined that the fire had been started by a thief in the adjacent building hoping to cover up his tracks. In December of 79, he successfully auditioned for a four-piece rock and roll cover band called Flasher. After three weeks of rehearsals, they started playing at clubs. At this point, he had become discouraged about his musical future after so many years of trying to make it without breaking through and Considered settling down, taking a non-musical career. We were making really lousy money, something like ten to seven dollars a night, whatever it really was. It was really terrible. Just by contrast, I was making fifteen bucks a night when I was sixteen years old, and now I'm thirty years old and I'm making seven bucks a night. So he wanted to do something out there. Um, he applied for Kiss, submitting a cassette tape to Kiss his single current his uh, his audition tape. He did a cover of the KISS single, Shandy, but with the vocals over the music instead of Paul Stanley's vocals. It sounded great, he insisted years later. The application was put into a bright orange folder to make it stand out visually. June Rod, the KISS staffer, said, told him later she knows the brightly covered envelope, so she picked it out to review it. While well, sitting outside the room used for audition, he watched three members of KISS, Ace Frehley, Gene Simmons, and Paul Stanley, walk by and enter the room. Now, I remember this was Kiss was always in makeup all the time, so you've seen him without the makeup on. It's like who's these three guys, right? He was one of the few people outside the band's circle of friends, family, and music business partners to see Kiss without makeup. Paul, I knew him right away, he told a magazine in 1990. The others I wasn't sure about. He was the last drummer to audition for the band and asked Simon, Stanley Simmons and Fraley to autograph the list of Kiss songs he was to play for the band, in case he never saw them again. But I knew I had it, he said, according to him. His audition was videotaped. He was, also immediately, he was also immediately comfortable feeling that the songs he had to play were a snap. He knew the arrangements better than the band did, learning them from recorded versions off the Kiss albums. They had been on tour and changed things a little bit around, and he was not impressed with Kiss's performance at the audition. They were awful, he emphasized. I had to remind them, no, I sing this harmony and you sing that one, stuff like that. It was great. Right away, we were working together. I knew it impressed, it impressed him. The significant advantage he had, in many ways, was his relative anonymity. It was important to the band to remain this mystique around the members, said Paul Stanley. It was really important to us that we got someone who was unknown. We didn't want someone who, who, they, looked last week, who they saw last week at a Rod Stewart or a Rainbow concert. The press release announcing the induction of him to the Kiss. They took three years off his age to help protect his anonymity, his true identity. This was to help create the, his identification. A young fan chosen out of the crowd would be the new Kiss drummer is the way they announced his being there. After he passed the audition, time was short, but the band had some trouble coming up with a character persona and a stage name for him because of the, his, before his debut concert. We never actually told him he was in the band, Paul Stanley said on USA Network's night flight program in 1983, we just said in two weeks we're playing. He was, uh, was alleged by Gene Simmons to have originally considered going by the name Rusty Blade until Simmons discarded that. He decided on Eric Carr quite carefully. He could notice that while the four members' stage names were each three syllables long, Chris's name was the inverse and of the other three band members, names, symbol pattern. Peter Chris was two syllables, followed by a single syllable. He decided to make the stage name sound somewhat rhythmical to Peter Chris's by choosing a double syllable first name and a single syllable last name. And so that's how he wanted to do it. Because all four of Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Frehley, boom, boom, boom. So uh, he, he thought Carr was a shortened version of his last name, Caravello. And he chose Eric from a list of first names his girlfriend at the time had given him. Paul Colorello remained his legal name. So unlike a lot of musicians, he never legally changed his name to Eric Carr. So for his Kiss persona, Carr initially wanted the hawk. This concept was apparently very difficult to realize in grease paint and a suitable makeup design was never created. And the hawk costume was a bright orange-yellow The idea was dropped after Paul Stanley mentioned that it looked like Big Bird. The band was on deadline, only two weeks before Carr's stage debut. Carr came up with the makeup design for the persona, The Fox. Simmons liked it, and thus the character was born. The original design was modified within days of Carr's initial photo session and the debut concert at a KISS member. His persona remained consistent for three years until the band's well-publicized removal of their stage makeup in September of 83 on MTV, which we covered here on the show a while ago. The drastic move came after declining album sales and a poor attendance of U.S. tours. Carr thought the band was coming to an end, but Kiss slowly turned their career descent into a rebound, and the band thrived. Carr earned a reputation among fans for being a very friendly and approachable. He answered many more mail than other band members and often added messages to his autographs. Despite being a replacement for an original member, his popularity soared among fans based on his persona and his percussion skills. Carr's first album with KISS was 1981's Music from the Elder, which marked a departure from the band's art rock direction they were going for. One of Carr's contributions to the album, Under the Rose, was one of the few KISS songs written in six, eight time and featured a Gregorian child stant chorus chant chorus later he would also have co-written credits on all hell's breaking loose under the gun and no 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 among others Carr said he found writing lyrics harder than writing music besides drumming Carr also played guitar bass guitar and piano and sang background vocals occasionally he sang lead vocals such as on black diamond and young and wasted live with kiss he first his first lead vocal in the studio was a re-recording of beth originally sung by Peter Chris for the 1988 compilation album Smashes, Trashes, and Hits. Carr recorded this version of the song in the same room at the record plant where the song was originally recorded using the same backing tracks as Chris. Carr's last recording with Kiss was for the song God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too," which featured him in background vocals. The last time Carr worked with Kiss was in July of 91, when Kiss filmed the video for God Gave Rock and Roll to You playing the drums. Carr's last public appearance with the band was at MTV's Video Music Awards in September of 91. In February of 91, Carr began falling ill. Medical tests initially revealed what appeared to be a manageable health issues. However, However, further tests determined that he had heart cancer. In April of 91, Carr underwent a series of surgeries to remove the tumors in his right atrium and lungs in an effort to restore heart function and prevention of the cancer's growth. Soon after Carr's diagnosis, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons replaced him with session drummer Eric Singer to commence the new recordings of the band's upcoming album, Revenge. After after recovering from multiple surgeries, Carr pressed Stanley and Simmons to let him back in the band. Stanley and Simmons refused, both having stated they repeatedly told Carr to focus on his cancer treatments and that they would allow him to return to Kiss once he regained his health. By mid-91, the band was preparing to shoot a music video for their upcoming single, God Gave Rock and Roll to You. Despite his poor health, Carr asked Stanley and Simmons to allow him to be in the video. They ultimately agreed. Carr flew to LA for July 91. By that point, he had lost his hair due to the chemotherapy treatments and was wearing a wig. After the video shoot, Carr flew back to New York to to continue his cancer treatments. His health had deteriorated at this point where he was unable to play the drums for the recording version of recording sessions for revenge. Carr's replacement, Eric Singer, played the album's tracks. Carr's last public appearance with Kiss was at the MTV Music Awards in September 91. Not long afterwards, he suffered an aneurysm and was rushed to the hospital. Several days later, he suffered a brain hemorrhage and was never regained never consciousness. On November 24, 1991, Carr died at the age of 41. He died the same day as Freddie Mercury, singer of the British rock group Queen, whose death attracted more media attention. Carr, who also had been nearly four year, who had been in a four-year relationship with future model and actress Carrie Stevenson at the time of his death. Although it was not publicized at the time, Carr's death was considered controversial among many of those in, amongst his family and Kiss. Uh, I know both of you and I being Kiss fans probably know, I remember hearing some of these rumors and stories. Uh, both Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons were labeled as being the, quote, quote, bad guys by, Carr's, by Carr for booting him out of the band and not supporting him in his time of need. The two were not made aware of this until after they attended his funeral and were treated with hostility by Carr's family and friends. Stanley wrote in his autobiography that the allegations of mistreating of Carr were simply untrue and that he did what he thought was right to support him. However, well, during car service, Stanley admitted to sobbing uncontrollably and literally regretting the way he had handled the situation. In tribute to the group's 1992 release, Revenge, featured what is said to be the only drum solo car ever recorded with the band, entitled Car Jam 1981. A jam session recorded from the Music from the Elder Sessions, former Kiss guitarist Ace Fraley's original guitar part, was overdubbed by Bruce Keeley much of the soloing was, session, was seasoned during Kiss's 1980 unmasked tour of Europe and Australia and put down during the music of the Elder Sessions. Carr had for years been trying to get his hands on a copy of the solo for his personal collection, but his request, requests were always rebuffed by Bob Elsren, who was with the excess, or excuse that he did not know where the masters of the sessions were. After Carr's death, the solo surfaced Car Jam 1981. The Revenge album was dedicated to Carr. He was also paid homage on the Kiss My Ass album and the Kissology 2 videos. Um, go backtrack, Kiss My Ass album. It's all of Kiss Songs that other bands did covers of. So it's a very good album. Uh, Lenny Kravitz has a great song on there. Extreme has a good one. Um, highly recommend album. Uh, however, the band declined a, a tribute concert that was requested by a circle of fans for the year after its death. Gene Simmons said, we don't want to do a tribute concert. We are dedicating the album to his name, but no concerts in his name. It's just not our style, which I don't think is a dick move anyway. That's just the way Kiss was. They didn't do that. On numerous solo tours after Carr's death, Fraley would play Breakout with lyrics written by Carr and Fraley when, uh, and later re-recorded as "Car Jam 81 on Kiss's Revenge album. And dedicated it to Carr, who Fraley hopes is checking out the show from up there. Frehley also dedicated his 2009 solo album to Eric Eric Carr. There's a hidden quote-unquote Easter egg in the 2007 Kiss 2 DVD collection. On disc three, at the end of the production credits, showing a family videotape made by Carr on his hospital bed, speaking into the camera, thanking his fans for their cards, letters, and concerns during his death, or during his health. Dressed in white, Carr then exits the bed and begins to walk away, only to return and moon the camera, only in rock and roll style. In July of 2005, Carr was voted the 10th best drummer of all time by Planet Radio Rock. No other members of KISS was even given the distinction of making the top 10 in the categories of vocalist, bassist, or guitarist. Carr was one of only two American drummers to make the list, with all the others being either British or Canadian. I tried to find that list. I couldn't see who the other American drummer was. So I don't know if that'd be Bonham, if he was considered American or British, or who it would have been, you know, his kid. Not sure who the other American drummer was. Hmm. Keith Moon, maybe? I don't know. Um, a list of some albums that Eric Carr appeared on was uh, 1979's Lightning with backing, vocals, and track. Uh, 1983, Brian Adams Cut Like a Knife. He co wrote Don't Leave Me Lonely. 1984, Wendy O. Williams, Wow, he co wrote Ain't None of Your Business and did the drums on Legends Never Die. 1987, Fraley's Comet co wrote Breakout. 1998, Garbo Talks. He did the drums on Game of Love. Uh, he did drums for Faith Circus. He co wrote Can You Feel It? Um, Eric Carr was one of those guys. I was really getting in the kiss around the Elder album time. So I uh, kind of grew up with him on there. There was one part of Red here doing it. He always had that curly black hair. One thing he wanted to do is he wanted to have long, regular hair like everybody else. Well, having curly hair, you can't do that. So he'd buy Jerry Curl and straighten it out at night, and then put one of his mom's nylons on it to so be straight at night sleeping in it. So did we had to do to get straight hair? i um, glad we went to the band to let it be curly. Uh, Eric Singer, who replaced him. I do like Eric Singer's work. I, I feel kind of bad for him being stuck in the middle and stuff like that. Uh, Liking the band kiss, being I'm not being an apologist for Paul and Jean or taking sides on anyone. Me personally, I like the way they handled it. No, you take care of your health when you're ready, come back. So I don't think they wanted the rip of, oh, come back and something happens. They worked them to death. I think I'd rather get the blame of saying, no way. I think they, my opinion, this reporter's opinion, that's what they did. You get healthy, come back. I've seen documentaries on the video of when God gave rock and roll to you, if you watch it. You can tell they timed the video differently for his drum, so it matches it because he can't keep up doing it. Film goes faster and slower, which is fine. I Just saying you notice it in there. Um, but the way they let him come back and do that one last video I thought was very great, very touching. Um, the least they could do, if you will, let him go out with being in a video. Have that be our last Im- image of him in a video, not all the horror stories of him in a hospital. But that is our Artist of the Week, Artist of the Week number two. Um, Eric Carr. Oh, Andy,
0: and, uh, uh, when did Freddie Mercury die on the same day, but what year was Mercury?
1: Um, was it the same year? Was it 91? Same same day uh, and year? Let me check that out real quick. I thought I, it was the same day, too. Uh, it, um, it
0: It could be. Now, if you get a chance for the listeners out there that are interested in hearing a good drum solo, do the YouTube research.
1: Uh, yep, it was same Jam. year. Same year. I did not know that. Oh,
0: yeah. okay. that good drum solo good. By, uh, by Eric Carr called Car Jam, and it's Carr, last name C-A-R-R, double R. And also, what Eric's, uh, Eric Carr was popular with the band because his personality was, was always good, always upbeat, always happy, always positive. And he would go around with this handheld video recorder Uh, behind the scenes, behind the stage, dressing rooms, uh, whatever, rehearsals, and and was filming stuff all the time. Now, I don't know where his film collection is, but that would be worth something. He was uh, kind of a – before his time, in today's world, he would have his own YouTube channel, and he'd be filming stuff all the time. He was way ahead of his time, almost like a a podcaster that's putting stuff out on a daily basis. Eric Carr loved his video and captured lots of – um, not not staged, orchestrated stuff, but candid, just candid shots, right. just just random things. And they always had a good time. He was always laughing and having fun. But uh,
1: he'd be an guy. Instagram sensation, an Instagram sensation, YouTube he sensation. He would have been
0: huge. Yes,
1: and I did look it up. Freddie Mercury, same year, same day.
0: Same year, same day. Okay. Yeah.
1: But Freddie Mercury at that time, you got my '91. That was AIDS. That's what he died of. That was the news at the time in '91. So that did kind of take a lot of the press, kind of like. Uh, Michael Jackson and Farrah Fawcett died on the same day. Oh, yeah. Farrah, you know, Michael got all the press.
0: Oh, really? That's yeah. right. Yep.
1: Yes. But enough sad news. Album of the week, sir.
0: Album of the week, a little Guns and Roses. Haven't covered them yet. We're going to do Appetite for Destruction. Kind of tied it in with the Thanksgiving theme. Appetite yes. Kind of poor humor there, my attempt. But anyway, Appetite for Destruction was the debut studio album by American hard rock band Guns N' Roses, released in July 21st, 1987 by Geffen Records. The album was released to very little mainstream attention in 1987. It was not until the following year that it became a massive commercial success, success after the band had toured and received airplay with singles Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City, Sweet Child of Mine, it also topped the Billboard 200 and became a, the best-selling album of all time, as well as the 11th best-selling album of all time in the United States. With over 30 million records sold worldwide, it's also one of the best-selling records of all time. So, although critics originally were ambivalent toward the album, Appetite for Destruction has since received retrospective Reclaim, and has been viewed as one of the greatest albums of all time. In 2018, it was re-released as a remastered box set to similar acclaim. So the album here, length 53 minutes, 52 seconds. Geffen Records' producer was Mike Clark. Singer Axel Rose stated that many of the songs in the album were written while the band was performing on the Los Angeles club circuit. And so... If you listen to the songs and the lyrics, uh, they were doing it uh, in LA in the club scene is really. Now, they were looking for a producer. Here's who they here's who they thought. The listeners may not know this. And Andy, and in fact, Andy, you may not know some of this. This is good stuff. They originally interviewed and worked with Nazareth drummer, uh, guitarist, Manny Charlton. They worked with Manny Charlton from Nazareth. And... Did some recording with him. But they initially considered Paul Stanley of Kiss to be the producer for Guns oh, N' Roses' album. Paul Stanley. But he re- he was rejected after he wanted to change Steven Adler's drum kit set more than Adler wanted to change it. Paul, well, Paul Stanley, you know, a guitarist and vocalist, got into Stephen Adler's drum kit and says, ah, I don't like the way it's all set up. They're like, okay, you need to go. <laughs> Paul Stanley.
1: What do you know about setting up a stage and uh, the theatrical part of a show? What do you know?
0: Stephen Adler says, no, nah, that's not going to fly. So Paul Stanley was out. Then they went to Robert Mutt Lang. But the label didn't want to spend the extra money to bring in a famous producer. The Guns I remember her here, Mutt
1: Lang's name being kicked around. Mutt Lang was that.
0: huge back then. Yep. They said, no, we'll go with someone else. We'll go with Mike Klink, a little-known guy he produced several records from triumph, you know, not nothing big, but uh, they brought him in. So they got the band together to start rehearsing some of this stuff and getting the band in the record studio, but slash the lead guitarist slash struggled to find a guitar sound that he liked before coming up with a Gibson Les Paul plugged into a Marshall amp. One of my personal favorites, by the way, that combination of that, uh, I'm a big Ace Freely fan, of course, and Jimmy Page. So when he plugged into the Les Paul, uh, Slash found the sweet spot is what he's looking for. The total budget for this album was $370,000. Stephen Adler, the drummer, basically said he got his percussion work done on this album in a, in a total of six days. But Axel Rose, lead guitarist, took much longer as he insisted undoing them one line at a time in the, record, the recording studio. Every line of every song, he wanted to perfect it before moving on to the next. In a perfectionism that drove the rest of the band away from the studio, they said, okay, you do your bit, we're going to go out and have some fun. Uh, Axel Rose was a perfectionist and did his lines one at a time in the records in the recording studio. I did not know that, but interesting.
1: Doesn't surprise me hearing it, though.
0: Um, welcome to the jungle, the lyrics that everyone's well aware of the lyrics, welcome to the jungle. Axel Rose wrote that after he encountered a man, encountered a man on the concrete jungle of New York City, shortly after arriving there as a small town, Indiana boy in 1980. Axel Rose, Rose get, got there, wowed by the big city and was uh, taught a, taught a lesson by the concrete jungle in New York City. And he wrote the song, Welcome to the Jungle about that. They also have the song Mr. Brownstone, which is about the band's problems with heroin. Mr. Brownstone. Stephen Adler
1: had no problem with it at all.
0: The album's original artwork uh, was a painting for Appetite for Destruction by Robert Williams. It depicted a robotic rapist about to be punished by a metal Avenger on the original artwork cover. But after several music retailers refused to stock the album, the label compromised and put the controversial cover art inside the, uh, inside the CD and replaced it with an Im- image of a painting of a, a Celtic cross with the skulls of the five band members on the cross. That was designed by Billy White Jr. Uh, originally designed that as a tattoo, but the image work was so good, they said, let's put that on the cover instead. Now there's, uh, a, it's a cross with skulls on it, uh, but the knot, the knot work, Inside the cross, if you look at the very detailed, some of the knot work going on in the details of that, was a reference to Thin Lizzy, who Axl Rose loved, and so did Billy uh, Billy White Jr., who wrote it. Billy White Jr. Who was the artist, big fan of Thin Lizzy. So they did a, a nod to Thin Lizzy by doing the knot work inside the small uh, artwork. The band stated that this artwork was a symbolic social statement with a robot, with the original artwork, the robot representing the industrial system that's raping and polluting our environment. So interesting connection there. And instead of the cassette and the LP sides A and B, Guns and Roses had side G and side R for Guns and Roses, G and R. Now, I didn't understand this till recently also. All the songs on the G track for guns deal with drugs and hard life in the big city. But the Rose's side, side two, deal with love, sex, and relationships. On the Rose's side, Guns and Roses. Interesting deal. Uh, Axel Rose stated in an interview that his original album cover photo that he wanted to use in the cover was to be the photo of the space shuttle Challenger exploding. That was also on the Time Magazine cover that same year But Geffen said that it would be in probably bad taste to put the cover of that Appetite for Destruction, Space Shuttle Challenger exploding. In today's terms, they would have said too soon. Yes. So Appetite for uh, Destruction was released by Geffen July of 87, receiving little notice from American press and radio. Because guess who was in there at the time? Def Leppard's new hysteria album just came out. Aerosmith's comeback hit, Permanent Vacation, just came out. And U2 was getting all the airplay on MTV at the time. So they had some, they had some conflict with releasing this at the time because it was not, not many people knew it. In fact, in the week of August, the end of August, August 29th, 1987, Appetite for Destruction debuted on the Billboard 200 chart at 182. It debuted at 182 before it even broke into the charts, and it would not top the charts until August of 1988, a full year later, after the band had toured and received radio and musical airplay and video airplay. Since then, of course, the album has gone on 18 times platinum in the U.S., and selling 30 million records worldwide. Here's the song listing. Side g Welcome to the Jungle. Song two, It's So Easy. Great song. Song three, Night Train. Great song. Song four, Out to Get Me. Song five, Mr. Brownstone, About Heroin. Song six, Paradise City. On the flip side, the R side or the roses side is My Michelle. Another good song. Song eight, Think About You. Song nine, Sweet Child of Mine. Song 10, You're Crazy. Another underrated song. Song 11, Anything Goes. And song 12, maybe my favorite, Rocket Queen. Rocket Queen is song.
1: That was a good song, Yep.
0: Yeah. Song 12. Uh, very well done. So it goes on to be one of the biggest albums of all time, but did not even break the charts at first. Didn't debut too high. Took, the, took a lot of time to get the ball rolling. Now, in 1999... Axel Rose had the album, the entire album, re-recorded with the then-current lineup that included former Minneapolis native Tommy Stinson on guitar. They redid the whole album, did some new recording techniques, and you can get that as um, well if you buy that, uh, that, that particular version. The box set came out in 2018 for Guns N' Roses, received... Universal critical acclaim, uh, scoring it a 95 out of 100 uh, based on nine reviews. It was also nominated for a Grammy for Best Box Set, but lost, received second place. The Grammy that year went to the complete works of Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> awesome. Had to throw that in there. Oh, Andy. Sweet Justice. Sweet Justice. They lost the Grammy due to. The Weird Album: complete works of Al Yankovic. So <laughs> that's what I've got. Uh, that's what i got for this album. Very good album, very good music. Once again, I love the deep tracks on yes. this album, not the commercial overplayed songs that you hear over and over. There was a note I want to look at for a note here. It was used in, I think, some video games.
1: Well, Welcome to the Jungles used at every football game for a kickoff and other sporting events for a mention. It and kind of like we talked about the Lost album earlier, not many songs without a parental warning on those either.
0: No, no, but yeah, the uh, in 1987, you know, this stuff came out. Hysteria from Def Leppard is out there, Aerosmith Permanent Vacation, uh, YouTube U- so, Joshua Tree by U2? it could have been. But they were getting heavy rotation on MTV at the time as well. But that's all I've got. Uh, One of the best albums of all time, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Thought I'd feature that here on Thanksgiving weekend with the word Appetite. Uh, If you have any questions and comments, please leave your uh, comments uh, and also recommendations down below in the uh, comments section. Uh, for e- for either various artists for Andy or albums of the week for myself, but but uh, that's what I've got here for my notes, Andy. Uh, I do like some of those uh, some of the interesting things there that was mentioned. Uh, but yeah, you know, Slash Gibson Les Paul guitar, plug that into a Marshall amp amplifier, bad boy, and he got the sound that he wanted.
1: You know, a lot of people kind of rip on Axel for being a jerk, we'll say. Um, from other things I've read on stage, yes, he is a jerk. Um, but I guess him and Duff McKagan are still real tight. I guess Axel's kind of a funny guy, nice guy, this and that. It's just, and he gets in the, the Axel Rose artist mode, totally different than the guy you have around your bonfire with a few beers and, and pizza at night, you know, so, because, uh, Chris Jericho has a podcast, and every week on there, Duff McKagan calls it with a, some dumb booger joke every week.
0: It's I forgot Duff. to mention the the cast, uh, the band members Izzy oh, yeah. Stradlin, Steven Adler on drums, Axl Rose, Duff McKagan, remember, uh, Seattle native that went to LA because there wasn't much activity in Seattle. And right after he left, the, basically the grunge scene exploded into Seattle. Yes. And uh, lead guitarist, Slash.
1: Yep. But uh, Duff does the, this joke of the week on the Chris Jericho podcast. And it was mentioned later on that Axel helps him come up with some of these jokes, which when you hear him, it's like, wait, the same guy who like jumps off stage and attacks people and doesn't want to play and this and that is writing jokes. So he, he's two different people. Again, not defending anyone, but I like Guns N' Roses. Are they in my top 10? Probably not. I do love a lot of their songs. Um, I thought November Rain could have been about three minutes shorter. Still a good song. Just kind of dragged out. Um, and again, like I said, the, the songs that weren't played, like Rocket Queen's a great song. My Michelle's probably a good song. The ones that weren't released are my favorite songs in there. I think that's just I got sick of them, hearing them all the time.
0: Yeah. The, like uh, here's other. the songs released. And here's what I forgot to mention. They released It's So Easy first with Mr. Brownstone on the B-side. That was June of 87. And then Welcome to the Jungle was October of 87. Still, they weren't receiving airplay by this time. Sweet Child of Mine was August of 88. And now this pushed everything over the top. And once again, you get this this slow ballad, essentially, that pushes it over the edge. And then Paradise City was November of 1988, right around Thanksgiving of 88. And then the following year, they released Night Train, not until July of 89. And so they have five, five songs released and got huge, huge airplay, but some of those deep tracks are awesome.
1: Yeah, oh. their album, it's kind of like a lot of Metallica albums. The ones songs that aren't released are my favorite songs on the album.
0: Correct. And I'm, I'm, we're kind of the same, cut from the same cloth there. The last thing I want to mention, remember the original guitarist for Guns N' Roses was Tracy Guns. Yes. Left to form his own band, uh, L.A. Guns. But that's where they got the name from Guns and Axel Rose was Rose. Tracy Guns was Guns, Guns and Roses. He left, slash came in. But Tracy Guns went on actually a pretty good career with LA Guns, but not, not anywhere close to the right. money that Guns and Roses bring.
1: Right. All right.
0: That's all I've got uh, for the album of the week. Please leave your comments and questions below and uh, recommendations once again for future artists.
1: Like, share, subscribe, tell your friends
0: too thanks and have a good weekend
1: see ya hey everybody andy here just want you to check out my other podcast andy's wrestling report also available on anchor and on facebook at andy's wrestling report all one big long line check it out facebook uh, instagram and on anchor i'd appreciate it thanks